0: welcome back everyone to our weekly webinar series i think we're actually in our 33rd week uh, we can't believe it's been uh, going on this long we appreciate your continued support so here we are again with successful strategies for shaping your future brought to you in partnership by Ursa club solutions and Rex executive roundtables i'm brent darden and this week we're focusing on research and data that you can use in your club and bill McBride, who is the co-founder, president, and CEO of Active Wellness, is a returning panelist, as well as Blair McHaney, who's the CEO of MXM and the owner of the Works of Wenatchee. Our guest panelists this week are Melissa Rodriguez, who's the senior research manager at URSA, and Killian Fisher, who's the international public policy advisor for URSA. So let's start, to, if we could, with uh, Melissa, maybe you, and Killian, I'll let you go first, Melissa. Tell everybody a little bit about what does that title mean, the Senior Research Manager at URSA? What, what do you spend your time doing, or what are some of the things that you're working on right now?
1: Yes, um, thanks, Brent. So as Senior Research Manager of URSA, I have the privilege of overseeing market and industry research studies, as well as um, KPI benchmarking studies for the industry. So when you think of the consumer report and global report and profiles of success, those are the uh, kind of key studies that we, we work on. And, you know, currently, like just recently, we wrapped up a consumer sentiment survey on how, um, what how members feel about returning to their clubs and how much they miss their health clubs and gyms during closures. So it's probably in a nutshell, what, um, what we do with, with research and kind of more recently gotten into a little bit of the scientific research study, so it's a good opportunity to dust off that undergraduate biology degree I haven't used in several years, so just just because of uh, the environment we're operating in.
0: Good. Well, it's a, it's a really important role. We did a survey recently for all of you in the audience asking Ursa members sort of the three most important things they thought that Ursa brought value to them with, uh, and one of those was education and research. They kind of listed those together, so Melissa is a big part of, of that effort. And Killian, can you explain uh, what this big title means, the International Public Policy Advisor? That sounds very, uh, I don't know, big news.
2: Well, I'm not sure if it's big news, but it's uh, basically the, the quick 10-second answer, but I will expand a bit more, is everything to do with public policy outside the U.S. Um, so I deal with really clubs and the industry representing Ursa on lots of different bodies. So that would include like UN agencies like the World Health Organization, which we've of course become familiar, very familiar with over the last seven months. Uh, OECD, which is looking at the business, the tax side, really protecting the industry and advocating for different policies there. Uh, also UNESCO, where we run the UFIT, the Inclusive Fitness Project, sorry, project with them and other aspects as well. Um, another big thing that's out there is in terms of standards as well, um, and at the moment, we actually are a official liaison organization with sen, which is the standards body for 36 countries so it 's beyond europe and um, there is standards that have already started for the fitness industry so it's very important obviously that we are represented there and we're part of that um because you know I believe standards are good and they're needed, but we need to make sure they 're achievable and that they're not too draconian or too out there um and the other Part I've been doing over the last seven months is Ursa has formed a crisis communications team so I've been privileged to be part of that team. It's really helping to produce all of the different articles, the webinars and the different information we're there to try and help clubs around the world.
0: Okay, great. Well, speaking of clubs around the world, uh, obviously you're from Ireland, well, maybe not. Obviously, if people haven't picked up on that accent. Uh, but you're in Ireland, and uh, news is just coming out of your country about some pretty drastic measures that they're undertaking to try and contain COVID.
2: Absolutely, Brent. Um, and yes, I'm I'm sitting here in my in my village in Ireland tonight. So that's where I'm broadcasting from. Um, and in five hours' time at midnight, um, the country goes back into virtual lockdown. Um, all health clubs, sports and fitness facilities throughout the whole country are closing as of midnight tonight. Um, Basically, more or less everything is closing at bar essential services. Um, We're not allowed any visitor to any household as of midnight for at least the next six weeks. So it's, um, yeah, it's actually worse than our first lockdown. So while some countries in Europe actually had more strict lockdowns, um, in Ireland, we didn't actually have quite as strict. So this is our, strict as ever with legislation we brought in for the police to enforce it as well. Wow.
0: So no visitors to your home in six weeks. And the police are actively going to be enforcing these measures, you said.
2: Yeah, there's legislation going through the DOI, which is our parliament, uh, that's happening at the moment. And the police will be given powers to issue 1,000 euro fines upwards. And at the upper end, it could include prison terms from one month to six months.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's pretty drastic. Okay, Melissa, let me come back to you. Um, uh, In your role there, you get to see a lot of the research, but what recommendations do you have and why would you recommend that health clubs pay attention to this research and how might they use it with their own club members?
1: Yes, so I think, um, especially more recently, we have a lot of kind of member sentiment um, data around health health clubs members feel about their clubs and i feel like that is especially helpful um considering that you know we our our industry has been really hit hard by restrictions and i think uh you know really speaks to how important our clubs are and what members are valuing if they if virtually all health club members um, 95 percent have said that they missed at least one aspect of of their health club it's just nothing nothing compares to using the health club so i think you know some of that consumer data that we have in the most recent study and also in our annual health club consumer report looks a little more in depth at the demographics and activity and participation behavior of health clubs and it kind of gives food for thought for health club operators on any kind of programming ideas and marketing and messaging strategies they they can implement and then international with our kind of annual global report that's our um, best-selling publication it really kind of looks at the market size of more than 60 markets across the globe and i think that's a really valuable resource for some of our international markets and also kind of investors and other club owners and operators that are thinking of expanding
0: yeah i know in the report that we uh, recently published with the help i believe from kelton which is a marketing agency Mm -hmm. You know, it was called the COVID era fitness consumer report, right? And they can uh, obviously find that at ursa.org. But one of the striking things that that report uncovered was that uh, those gym goers surveyed said the only thing they missed uh, more than returning to their gym experience was visiting loved ones right? I mean, they yeah, said, yeah. we'd rather, we, we miss our gym more than going out to eat, then going to movies, then going to the theater, then going to sporting events, then going shopping, mm-hmm. that they wanted their health club and gym to be open first, only behind visiting their loved ones. That That's pretty powerful stuff.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree. Yeah, there's just nothing really compares to, I think, people, they engaged in maybe digital fitness offers, working out on, with online or using fitness apps. They've Collaborated with other friends and trying to stay motivated, but they really nothing really compares to the you know the, the community and and to just the variety of of activities that they have at a health club.
0: Yeah, so uh, Blair, I know you're obviously a huge proponent of uh, research, and you really pioneered the, the the research that MXM did in collaboration with Planet and Ursa and and that's been out for a while now, but why do you feel so strongly about the need for research to sort of drive uh, decisions, behaviors, thoughts, et cetera?
3: Well, yeah, and I think that's the point of the message, right, is that you have to come in with the research at some point. I love that because like, just like Melissa's saying about consumer sentiment, at some point you have to come back in with, you know, voices of actual customers that are, validating it from through their own eyes and it and here's a great example of why this is so important and i think it's important on two levels at sort of the air cover level like we've been talking about from visits to virus ratio to the bigger research that some of the universities are trying to do to to help you know what the industry but also at your um at your local level and uh one of the things that we are doing uh, with a company called modus consumer insights is we are we geofenced our own locations and a few other locations in the valley here um, And also, you know, you can also geofence key businesses and we're tracking This is all permission based because on your phone you get permission for your location uh, tracker to be on And we're tracking the cell phone usage in and out of of these locations, but we can also track that back to exact addresses. And one of the things, and then we we also shape those to the 74 Experian consumer profiles. And what we're seeing is that the post-COVID consumer is different than the pre-COVID consumer, as far as those profiles go. Then we're taking everybody that's on freeze and running that back against those profiles, and so in, you know and saying that these are very different consumers what messaging do they like how do they consume how do they consume information like it's because right. you'd be surprised on some of these consumption is radio right and and so to really at at that granular level to be really good about your data and then to look at of course we look at all of our customer experience data and and what are people saying about likelihood to continue their membership at this stage i'll tell you That across all of our customers, and this is now almost 200,000 responses, likelihood to continue membership or likely to be a member in six months is running at about 72 percent right now, scoring a nine or ten on that question. So then, then the question is, what, what does that profile look like, right? Like who are those people that are saying that? And so I just, you know, you you've got to have it in order to communicate right with your with your membership base, with the broad market, but also man i am stunned at how many people make blind decisions without having right blair a, you, said,
4: yeah. you said eight to nine um
3: on likelihood to continue being a member within six months um what was it pre covid for the same data set nine or nine or ten bill nine or ten and i'll 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 tell you in just a few minutes okay all right you'll see me uh, around
0: here so killian let's jump back to you um you know everybody's worried about the covid uh, spiking again here in uh, the domestic us obviously you've shared the story of what's happening in ireland what do you think clubs can do to sort of protect against being closed down again is there anything the clubs should be doing or can be doing
2: yeah i mean i think there's there's a number of things clubs can actually be doing um two big messages and i can give a couple of examples in a second in terms of how this has worked or where this has worked. But okay. the two key measures are, one is the essential nature of the clubs, and some of the things you've been talking about already is demonstrating that, you know, it's not just the physical activity is good for us, but there's lots of advantages for clubs from a mental health point of view, from a social point of view, from a safety, which is the second aspect. And I think it's really important to actually show how safe that clubs really are. And we can never say they're 100% safe because nowhere is 100% safe. But right. It's using tools that we developed with the World Health Organization, like the key considerations documents that are out there. We also have risk assessment, and lots of clubs are actually using them. And again, they're on earth.org to actually use them free of charge. Um, so we really encourage clubs to actually use them. Go to your local governments, your state authorities, and so on, and actually say, look, we've actually gone through, we've used these risk assessments, we've done all the mitigation measures to really show that our clubs are running as safely as possible um, so that you can demonstrate that look, we've got all the measures in place. we followed the tools represent, uh, sorry, recommended not just by IRSA, but they have been developed with the WHO, with leading experts internationally. Um, and let me give you a good news story on that, which has just come out in the last 48 hours. We actually haven't even published this yet. That is hot off the press. Um, Ma- I get the pronunciation right. but It's um, Mahal Maharashtra, which is a province in India. Um, Names you may be more familiar with would be Mumbai and Pune. Um, It's actually an area of 112 million people. So this is not a small area. This is an area with a population over 112 million people. The chief minister agreed at the weekend all the health clubs in that area can reopen from next week. The main reason he's allowed them to actually reopen is on the back of information resources from MRSA that UHFF, which is our Indian national partner, have actually used, and it's using things like the key considerations documents, like Blair's MXM survey, they've actually used that in India as well, Blair, you'd be glad to know. Um, right. So as well as the various sorts resources, the state alliance information, they've used all those things to actually show how safe clubs are. They're introduced protocols actually following all of our advice, and the chief minister has now agreed that all the health clubs in that region can reopen on the back of that. That's, That's awesome. awesome.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, that's an example of some of the work that IHRSA is doing, you know, internationally. And uh, I think a lot of people in the U.S. don't really realize just how international IHRSA sometimes really is. Yeah. So, Melissa, what about uh, here in the States? You know, um, for that's probably the majority of our audience. What, what do you think about clubs? What can they be doing with the information you're privy to that might help them stay open and, and remain open? Mm-hmm.
1: I think a lot of what we're seeing with the consumer sentiment is really emphasizing kind of the importance of clubs in the physical health and well and mental wellness of, of, of of themselves. I think you know emphasizing how important that is that because clubs they they really can't um, they don't have the same sense of community as exercising on your own. It really does help kind of address those feelings of like social isolation and even you know just kind of feeling down over the over the closures and especially heading into these shorter. Fall and winter months. I think clubs exercise. We already know how much of a mood booster that is. And then exercising with with your friends, with your family, with your loved ones at the club with a, a personal trainer. And in that energy of a health club, it's only going to boost kind of your social your social well being and overall mental wellness and wellness and help you kind of manage stress as well.
0: Yeah, Bill. Uh, you know a little bit about marketing, I think. And uh, we were having a discussion on one of our roundtables yesterday. You know, what's your thought about the marketing messages that clubs should be having right now? Should it really be focused around containing COVID and safety, sanitation, air filtration, et cetera? Or does it need to really begin to move now about the benefits of exercise or is it both?
4: Yeah, I think it's both. But I mean, if you go back to the basic paradigm of how do you train a new staff member, what's the first thing you do? You tell them what what you want them to do. Right. (laughs) Then you show them how to do it and then you have them do it right so tell show do and i think the same thing's important with the messaging to the consumer because we've got two different audiences here we've got the great work that uh melissa and ursa and and blair and mxm and and others are putting together for the governmental agencies and that's one audience and then you've got the consumer so you know tell the consumer what you're doing to keep them safe and provide a solution for their health and well-being show them with member testimonials and staff testimonials and staff video and member video um, what the experience is like you can tell me how safe and how you've mitigated risk and how you reduced the check-ins to covid infectious rate to 0.002 percent but as a consumer you're just telling me stuff you know i'm going to take it with a grain of salt you know i'm gonna i'm gonna view you as a credible source because I have a brand affinity and trust for you as my club provider. Um, but it's much more powerful to hear from other people and to see it. And, and so that customer testimonial on the video, um, and then, um, you know, and then you got to back it up. You know, um, I've got a lot of people that have gone back to clubs in Arizona. The clubs are saying they're safer, they're doing all these things. And then they go in and they don't see the behaviors by the staff match the messaging and so you've got to tell show and do just like you do with training and you have to be delivering on the execution of living the behaviors in the club environment and enforcing other members to do so because otherwise you just got some some puffery with marketing and you'll immediately be exposed as a phony and lose credibility so tell show do live live the example Blair's. Dying to jump in here. Blair,
3: what do you got? I'm dying to jump in here. This is is so demonstrative of what it was like for the consumer even before COVID. In other words, so many companies are nothing, their message is nothing more than marketing blather because when people walk in, the behavior is very different than what they say they are. Nobody says, nobody goes out in their marketing pre-COVID and said, believe me, you're gonna have a mediocre experience when you come in here. Everybody's got the best staff, everybody's got the best facilities, the best programming, that's crap, right? And and now it's even it's even more important right now than ever before. And so I'll give you, I'll give you an example. You know, I shared some data with you guys yesterday from Wharton Business School. Um, that they just did on the, on the, on the retail experience, right? The, the, the pre and post COVID retail experience. Companies, the retailers that showed um, that they did the maximum, the maximum. And if you can remember on our round table, remember all, all of us talking about good Lord, how much are we spending on all of these systems and processes and the, the screens we're putting in and you know, right. custom masks and all of this stuff. And all that we kept saying on our round table, Bill and I've said it a thousand times. It's optics, it's optics, it's optics. Yeah, people can dis, people know what six feet apart is. You don't have to have this stuff on the floor, but it's optics. And those companies that have sold, sell- where the consumer says, I think they've done the most loyalty is 2.2 times X times greater than companies that didn't show maximum. That's one of the most important pieces of data out of that Wharton information that came out now. So now we just opened, we've been open four weeks, as you, it might, be, might surprise you that we use MXM in our clubs. And so one of the things that we do is we do a, a, a lead generator and a review generator. So the review generator is designed to push people out to Google, we ask everybody, you don't just ask your promoters. We are getting at least one five-star review every day right now out on google and it's because people are coming it's exactly what bill said they come in and they they see what we told them we were going to do they see it when they come in and now they're saying that rocks so back to what bill was saying you say you're gonna you you say you're gonna do all the safety stuff they come in they see that you're doing all the safety stuff and then guess what the testimonial goes out and says wow and what did Scott gillespie say yesterday the one he got in on mxm where the person said i just got back from disney you guys do a better job than Disney did. I mean, yeah. that's pretty powerful.
0: Yeah, well, the survey, the same survey, this COVID era fitness uh, consumer survey, uh, nine out of 10 members that have gone back to their gym, checked the box that said, I have complete confidence in the sanitation and protocols of the gym I'm going back to. So the good news, I agree with you and Bill both. The good news is nine out of 10 gym goers, whatever clubs they're going to, they feel really good about that so that's a good part of the message for sure
3: one more thing
4: Can i have one more thing on that, real quick is, no, is that no, no. Uh,
3: bill I, okay bill starts, I saw his hand first go ahead blair i just want to make sure that as group fitness starts to open more and more that we are super tight on group fitness because if we have problems that's where it's going to come from we have to there you know we have to make sure that our standards are maybe even more detailed for our group fitness rooms bill.
0: yeah
4: i just i just want to add it doesn't matter how far you went in the spending on this you know it doesn't matter if you changed your air conditioning system if you added the barriers between every piece of equipment that's not what matters what matters is are you doing everything reasonable to protect people's health and safety and don't say you're doing things you're not doing so if you're not doing them don't go overkill on the other messaging just be more silent to those things um, the thing is that we get ahead of ourselves a lot, and, and and that's, you know, what I want to caution people is, tell, show, do, don't get ahead of yourself.
0: Under promise, over deliver. There you go. So, and back uh, to sort of the more of the research components. Uh, you've kind of shared some of the things that are coming out of Ireland, uh, and then you shared a little bit about uh, India as well but you're in touch with a lot of the other countries and some of them have already done some pretty good research uh, projects around COVID and the uh, likelihood of contracting COVID. I think Australia comes to mind, uh, Norway comes to mind. Can you speak to those a little bit?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, Blair's done great work with MXN, in the States, and we've been using that globally, which is great. Um, Fitness Australia, which is our partner uh, for Australia, has actually done similar type work in terms of check-ins and obviously looking sorry also looking at consumer confidence and that side um one of the headlines you give you from Australia is that they gathered 6.26 million check-ins from four, sorry 423 gyms and fitness facilities across just New South Wales which is one region in Australia that was from June the 13th to October sorry August the 11th and in that there was only 13 cases out of those 6.26 million visits within that region. Um, that was actually a region, well, Victoria, which is part of the South Wales, have actually had a lockdown for um, the last couple of months, and they're just starting really to open clubs again. So this kind of data is so important to really kind of argue and advocate with governments to get clubs reopened, because there yeah. is there's definitely this fallacy out there all the time, oh, no, you're gonna get infected in gyms, and it doesn't matter what you do, everybody is together. Um, so I think that that is really so important there. Um, so the Oslo study, yeah, you mentioned the Oslo study. Um, the Oslo study, which has been published some time ago, again, a great research there to show that the risk or the chances of getting COVID in the gym is absolutely minuscule. Um, you know, so everything we're reading all over the place is really around that. Um, so, so I think we're, we're winning the argument in a lot of countries now internationally, the gyms are pretty safe. And if they're following the right protocols, then they're even safer. So you know, I think from that safety aspect, we are starting to win that argument. Um, what one of the things mentioned though is you know you asked me at the beginning in terms of what can clubs do to really demonstrate to local authorities or health authorities that they are safe. I know there's been stories of this in the States. We also have stories as far as Colombia, Peru, out across Europe, where most government ministers, decision makers don't actually know what a gym is you know we've had this debate well should we stop calling them gyms because it's almost a dirty word these days you know so health clubs is probably a better name but you know i've heard lots of good stories from different ministers right at health minister level and so on they've actually been persuaded to come and visit a health club or a sports and fitness facility and i've said oh this is not what i was expecting they're expecting just these bodybuilders and soda on the floor and you know all this old kind of image and that was one, I think that's one of the biggest things that club operators can do is try and get your decision makers to actually come and visit your club and show them what a club is like. You know, forgetting about the safety protocols, just to actually see what you do there, what we all do. So, right. so I think that's one of so the biggest killing,
0: things. You say those clubs over there have sawdust on the floor, is that the word you used? <laughs>
2: well, we have done some that in some pubs here, all right, but I'm not sure about the gyms. <laughs>
0: Uh, Well, one of the things I think hopefully our government will pay some attention to, Killian, is we've heard from Scotland and we've heard from Canadian uh, Parliament that they are closing other establishments down based on a rise in cases. But those two governments have come out and said, no, the benefits of being active and going to health clubs and gyms far outweigh the risk of contracting COVID. Uh, We wish a lot of the other governments would pay attention to that, right?
2: Yeah absolutely and I can give you what I hope is going to be and I say I hope is going to be a good news story from England um, and what's happened in the UK for those not familiar is UK is essentially one country but Covid has actually split it into four so there's now England, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland they do have a certain amount of devolved government but because the Wales, Scotland and Northern Ireland disagree with Westminster they are all making their own decisions. And in some cases, very different restrictions in those four nations. Um, So that's one thing that's happened. So in England, um, they have taken a regional approach and an area called Lancashire in the north of England, they're in the highest level of lockdown at the moment. They have now decided to allow sports and fitness facilities, leisure centers, as they call them over there, health clubs, to stay open at the highest level of restriction. What hoping is going to happen is that the English government is going to decide on Friday to actually apply that right across the whole country, and we're hoping that UK and others across Europe, in fact, will start to follow that example, um, and you know, our our partner in the UK, UK Active, has actually done great work again by taking some models health clubs, bringing decision makers to the clubs, putting all the safety protocols in place before the clubs open and Bringing these people around to actually see what exactly is happening, what has been put in place, and that is actually one of the things that I have most convinced the decision makers. So you know, it's back back to my point of, you know, and, and Bill was saying it there. Not you know, not just say you're going to do something, but actually show this is what we're actually doing.
0: Yeah, it's unbelievable well, that, uh, that country can be divided and have different rules in different parts of the country. I mean, y'all should get you know, learn from us over here in the U.S. Every state, every county. <laughs> You know, is doing their own deal. Well, uh, well uh, yes, Julian, we, got you. we have uh, we have we have broken down
4: the United States of America into uh, we have 3,143 counties and uh, and over 20,000 cities. So uh, so I think we've done a better job of dividing <laughs> the COVID segments than you guys have done.
0: Yeah, well, unfortunately, I'm you phone, you how many mean. counties did you say we had, Bill? I, that was some good.
4: We have 3,143 counties as of right now, Brent. Um, uh, Over
3: 19,502 cities as far as the 2019 (laughs) census data. 2,000 of those those counties are just in Texas. (laughs)
0: That's probably right. Okay, Melissa, help us out, please. Um, (laughs) So, you know, we touched on it, I think you mentioned before, and we've got research continuing to come in on these consumer behaviors that their health is declining during COVID. They miss their gyms. They're reporting that at least one aspect of their own personal health has diminished uh, and their activity levels have diminished and their stress has gone up. So where can our listeners go to find some of this information and research if they wanna pull some things out of it to share with their members and help get the message out?
1: Yeah, so the latest, the COVID era fitness consumer is available for free at irsa.org slash publications. Um, download it. There are also social graphics too um, that we're we're using on various social media platforms and you can also see it in the latest press release as well and you can share some of that data with your members and hopefully they could be talking points to your local officials as well and even there on ursa.org slash publications you'll find other toolkits about uh, navigating the coronavirus during this this time too. So uh, not just research but other I, I think a lot of that was coming from the crisis communications team that Killian is a part of.
0: So when they go to ursa.org specifically, will it be pretty obvious where they can find these things, Melissa?
1: Yes, ursaorg slash publications. It should be the first thing right right at the top. You won't even have to scroll down.
0: Okay, perfect. Well, I don't want to get behind the pulpit, but I, I will just for a moment because I think this is really important what Melissa is saying, and that is, you know, I've been hearing and all of us are on the same page with we feel so disrespected being lumped in with casinos, bars, bowling alleys, entertainment, uh, and we want to be viewed as part of the solution um, and stay open. And I think to reach that level that we want within the public perception, we've got to start in our own clubs, right? I mean, it's really got to start in your club, Blair, in your club, Bill. URSA certainly has to do its part. Club Solutions has to do their part. Rex Roundtables has to do their part. All of our partners have to do their parts. But really, I mean, we've got to win this war uh, as far as the messaging in our gyms and then in our cities and then in our counties and then in our states. It needs to roll up. It can't probably in this scenario where we are right now. Roll down.
3: Yeah. So, you know, the analogies that we use to talk about this. Right. I mean, Killian said we're starting to win this fight. You just said win this war. And, I, you know, as, as a club owner you you know you wake up and you feel like you're in a damn fight every day you're you're fighting to get your people off a freeze you're fighting to make sure that those people that are coming in have a great experience and you can keep them you know you're fighting um masks frankly every club is fighting masks to some level to some degree even if you don't have a mask policy and you didn't have to have masks well people think you should right so i mean so you fight that and then you get up and you and you see an article that says a studio had an outbreak up in canada and it's and then it will go on to say something like this that's why gyms are dangerous this proves why gym and you and you you know and so you have a visceral
0: reaction. reaction
3: so then you fight that and then you feel like you're now fighting and, and here, Killian, it's like, am I, am I fighting my city and my county and my state? Like, what all, what all am I fighting here? And, and this is gonna feel exhaustive. It's going to feel exhaustive. But the way that you'll win this fight is with research. The way that you win this fight is with high-frequency data within your own clubs to understand your own customers, how to get people off freeze, how to keep these existing customers, this is gonna take some stamina for our whole industry and it's gonna start with every single unit that's out there. And that it's gonna be so critical. Don't just fricking look at URSA and say, save me. Because we have to be able to take the research that URSA is leaning into, that URSA is providing. We have, there's gonna be a lot of connective tissue between what URSA is doing and what we should be doing as club operators. And mainly, but, ma- but mainly, don't have a damn outbreak in your club <laughs> yeah that's right
4: but there's also something to be said for being the squeaky wheel okay so mm-hmm. you got to have the research you got to have the data you got to have the the proof but you've also got to communicate with your legislators communicate with business leaders communicate with your healthcare providers you got to communicate and be a squeaky wheel you want we want to get to a point where they go you know what we're not going to mess with the clubs they're a pain in the ass that they're not going to let us just roll over them they're that's gonna- right you know so so, you know what the california fitness alliance is doing you know they're doing some stuff with lawsuits you know suing the governor the governor's not going to want to go sit for a deposition you know they're not going to want to do that and so um and they probably will not have to do that but um but being a squeaky wheel communicating sharing um that research that blair's talking about and um and not not just accepting your fate, but but being a part of, uh, no, you're not
3: gonna roll over us. We're proud of our product, it's essential,
4: and it adds value to the community,
3: and we're not gonna be quiet. That's right, and jump on this Ursa initiative right now. Right? I mean, this is a big deal. You wanna know what you can do to help keep clubs open? Get more, get more senators, get more congressmen to sign on to that bill. That's one thing you can do. If you have a state alliance, be an active part of your state alliance, mm-hmm. and make sure you're in there, air Killian, talked about bringing leaders in, our state representatives have been in through our clubs. That is, and that is the squeaky wheel piece, and it's going to take that. Mm-hmm. Totally agree.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll take, you yeah, so, know, let me yeah, jump back to you, Killian, about uh, the international uh, add-on to what Blair was saying, but also the audience is asking, are there some specific strategies that you've seen some of the countries internationally use successfully
2: with the lawmakers that you might share? Yeah. And what- what Blair and Bill kind of prompted me there is there's different approaches being taken in different places. I think you have to look at the cultures. And while, okay, you're looking primarily at the states, and all the cultures can change between counties, even our states. So I think it's important to look at that. I mean, give you an analogy that's happened over the last seven to 10 days. Um, in Canada, they're very mindful to really take the approach of working and collaborating with provincial government and the federal government. On the other side of transatlantic in France, using those two analogies because obviously there's a French Canadian influence, but the French in France have a totally different approach. They get out in the streets protesting and their way in France to try and get action from government is to get on the streets. So a French partner uh, in France led by Christophe Anderson have been out there in Marseille protesting in the streets. We've had guys in Paris as well. Um, That would be my personally that would be approach I would take. I think it's much better trying to collaborate with government but in France, that's what they have to do to make things actually work. Um, so in terms of properly answering your question, Brent, in terms of you know the approach to work, it is really what I was saying earlier about collaborating with government. I think the Indian example is probably the best I could really highlight, that have been most successful, because they've gone there, and they've shown the essential nature of the clubs, all the reasons why, why they need to be kept open. But the big thing they've got is those safety messages. Putting protocols in place, showing, look, here's our set, the global association, here's the work they've done with WHO, here's the science and the data with the MXN data, the other data we have from Australia and so on, and actually presenting that research and data to the government in a, as I said, calm, logical manner, met up with them, showing them the clubs, so it's going through those steps. You so know, it it does take a bit of time; it's quite methodical, um, but it's worked. You know, and I, you know. I, that's why I would hold up the Indian case as really, you know, they have they're number one in my mind in terms of the approach they took and what they've actually achieved. Um, and I think it's just perseverance to go through that. But it is getting directly to the decision makers.
0: So this, uh, this is a tangent question, but uh, I think Bill or Blair, I forget which of you uh, mentioned this about the mask and wearing masks. You know, the uh, study that we've referenced already that happened in Hamilton, Canada in the SPIN class where Mm -hmm. they had a super spreader event. They were following most of the protocols, not unlike Mm -hmm. here in the United States. Two things we've uh, discovered they were not doing, which is they were not requiring masks during the exercise session, only sort of to and from. And they really didn't respond to the fact if they had done anything about their air quality or treatment of the air. So the, the question in the chat box that I'm getting is, you know some people are thinking they should require their members to wear masks at all times but they get a lot of pushback on that from members that don't want to be wearing the mask while they're actually exercising strenuously anybody want to weigh in on their thoughts on that go ahead bill and then i'll come to you killian
4: i you know masks and social distancing is the only way to avoid it outdoors better the transmission outside is very low so you know we talked a lot about outdoor programming you gotta have the space, and you gotta have the mask. California's come out, and, you know, pretty much you have to have the mask even when exercising vigorously. So it, it makes it difficult to do in vigorous exercise. It creates another set of problems with health and risk, um, but um, it transmits through droplets close by.
2: Killian? Yeah, I was just gonna weigh in. I mean, the advice from WHO again has been consistent in that you shouldn't actually wear a mask while actually exercising, but you know that does present obviously difficulty because of the physical distance. With the case of Hamilton, yeah, I mean I've been trying to reach out via Fitness Industry Council of Canada, literally right up to today. Excuse me one sec. <coughs> um, and yeah, <laughs> <right> <laughs> <up>. <laughs> just demonstrate the issue. Yeah, I've got it's uh, a <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, j- joking aside. Um, we still don't know exactly what happened in Canada. Yes, it was a super spreader event, I mean, that's very obvious, because in most cases where there has been maybe a case in a club, it's been a staff member or a club member, it's been kept in control, it's been contained, disinfection been done, and it has been no further spread. So Canada is very unusual. Um, and the only part of the factor that we haven't got any information from them on is the ventilation side. And obviously, when you're doing very intensive spin cycling classes, your aerosol transmission is going to be further. So I think the physical distance is a big issue. You can deal with that much, much easier in gyms around cardio equipment and strength training. But when you come to group exercise, it depends on the intensity. So if it's low intensity exercise, the distance does not need to be as much. If it's higher intensity, then it has to be more. The ventilation systems, I think, are a big factor as well. so it is, you know, it's, it's looking at those factors, making sure you put all the mitigation measures in place. And just finally, just come, you know, just come back to the mask kind of issue. I think it's absolutely critical, in, in my view, and all what we're hearing, the science and so on internationally, is the masks are worn everywhere where possible. And so when you're entering a class, when you're entering a studio, entering a gym, the masks are worn on the way in, the way out, keeping that distance as well. Um, There are more companies now, I know, producing masks that are are more designed for exercise. So I think that's obviously something that needs to be looked at further, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's the availability of those different types of masks is one of the issues, which is why in the beginning, no WHO or government authorities were not telling us to wear masks and they're admitting that they're just weren't available. That was why.
4: Just one more comment on the HVAC. (laughs) That's great for reducing transmission over minutes and hours if somebody spits in your face the hvac is not going
2: to save you Mm -hmm. and that's why you need that this that's why you need Mm -hmm. distance into account as well so it's it's making sure the direction people are um you know and even the situation of cardio equipment i know a lot of gyms have put in screens other places Mm -hmm. have said no no we're not going to put in screens because the cleaning costs time etc so they just keep the physical distance um i mean this is going to be you know this is going to be with us for a lot longer than any of us expected so i think you know we have to get used to these measures need to be in place for quite some time to come
0: and Killian, uh, this is perfect. Uh, there's a there's questions are rolling in on this chat box. I don't mean to be distracted. I'm trying to read all these questions. And I think there's about 30 of them in the chat box right now. So maybe we could take a couple of those, one of which, Killian, I know you're extremely interested in, as is Bill. Both of you are part of the headlight team looking at standards. And the question is, or the complaint is, hey, you know, we're doing, we're following all the protocols. We're a professionally run club gym. Um, but there's competitors down the street that really aren't doing anything, right? And they're giving our industry a black eye, just as all of you suggested before. So, Ursa, we've launched this headlight team. We've had a standards committee for years, uh, decades, uh, as part of the Ursa board, but now uh, we're really taking that to another level and we're trying to establish a safe mark standard for clubs. It's uh, some standard that they could meet and sort of had an accreditation. Can either one of you speak to that just a little bit? I know we haven't uh, done a lot of work there yet we just formed the committee but both of you are on it and Killen, you probably have well both of you have a ton of experience bill why don't you start
4: yeah i mean i was actually the chair of the standards committee during my ursa board days um my first year on the Ursa board i'm just committed to it i think that uh, we got to hold ourselves to a high standard we have to elevate the game historically our industry has avoided legislation avoided external standards and i think it's cost us i think it's cost us in credibility i think it's cost us in the media i think it's cost us with the government and I think it's cost us with some consumers. So uh, I'm committed, I'm passionate about it. I'm honored to be on that uh, that headlight group, Brent. I'm excited to work with Killian and Brad and the rest of the team. Uh, but I think we've got to take a hard look at ourselves and hold ourselves to a higher degree of responsibility.
0: Killian? Hey, Killian, you want to add anything
2: to that? Yeah, I think, just say, look, as Brent, you know, and Bill, I've been a firm believer in standards for a long, long time. But we haven't necessarily got support from that, especially in the States, I have to say. Um, right. But clubs are now crying out to be deemed essential. If we want to be deemed essential, as Bill said there, you know, we have to show the clubs are running to a good quality level. Um, one thing about years ago, uh, I was involved in setting up Now Ireland was a GP exercise referral program. We know that those type of programs are one of the reasons where some of the governments, I know in the UK, I know in some states in the US, governments are allowing clubs to reopen if they've got a physician type referral program in place. To have those programs in place, we need to show you're a quality club. So therefore it comes around again, if you want to be deemed essential, you want to live medical and so on, then you need to actually show we've got those protocols in place, we're running a quality club, we're adhering to all the various standards. So, you know, I think those clubs will win through. Um, it may not happen today or tomorrow, but I think now is the time that this is now going to happen and standards are becoming more and more important than ever.
0: Yeah, and uh, Blair, you know, uh, the historically, as Killian suggests, and he was very nice, but uh, he didn't throw the U.S. under the bus too much, but uh, we have been offering resistance. I mean, a lot of people that are leaders in the industry, you know, would push back on, oh, we don't want standards, and uh, we don't want anybody regulating us. We don't want the trainers to have to have a license or those kind of things. But the tide is really turning. I mean, the pandemic... Has laid bare the fact that uh, we lack credibility.
3: Yeah, and if we ha- and if we had those standards going into this, we might not be closed, right? I mean, they might not mm-hmm. have closed us with bars and restaurants. We may well be open, or at least open earlier than what we would have otherwise. I mean, you think about, for God's sake, you have to have a license to do a manicure here, right? right? I mean, or a haircut mm-hmm. or something. Yet you don't have to, or, uh, you know, of course, a restaurant, but not a health club. And I, I think it—I think it's time. I This is back to what we were saying earlier about being involved and being involved with your state alliances and being involved in getting your representatives, your district representatives in to look. Because what you don't want is you don't want those standards to be made by seven bureaucrats in your state capitol you have you want to have that conversation if standards are going to start coming in from government and i love the fact that earth is getting out ahead of this so that we can self-regulate that right if we can come up with standards ourselves that then could be adopted so to me it's a little bit of a race although sarah cooperman is pretty pretty sharp cookie and an attorney has pointed out that the states are going to run out of time and money to be doing this so it's a great time for us to be you know focused on creating our own standards but i am i am all for well blair for people as old as blair and and you brent i mean you might
4: remember way back in the day when uh operators were against aed regulations right uh, Automated yeah. numbers. how dare you tell me i have to have an aed what kind of what kind of arduous requirement is that you know i don't know any operators today would say yeah that's not that's that's not an unreasonable expectation <laughs> you know I mean if somebody said you know hey you know we're gonna your lifeguards ought to be professionally trained on how to save people's lives uh, <laughs> seems reasonable to me you know, um, you know so you know there's there's some common sense here
3: yep so um, Melissa,
0: I'm gonna direct this question yeah, that, to you. it seems
1: to that me AED, that AED thing was still an issue 12 to 15 years ago Bill I know you're trying to make Brent and Blair Put them a little ahead of their time, but I think even it's, it's kind of crazy. I remember when I started working at Ursa, so there were still bills coming out where, where I think some some uh, clubs, some states were fighting that. So, Let yeah.
4: Just joking oh. I was just joking. <laughs> time.
0: Yeah, yeah um, I know. <laughs> so to that point, everyone, and again, I know we're all in the same choir on this webinar, but uh, when the standards begin to come out, whatever they are, there's going to be resistance. Right. We just need to know that that's that's going to happen. So it's going to be a little bit of an ongoing uh, process. But, Melissa, one of the things I wanted to direct back to you about the research. um, And again, we're all on the same page on this webinar and our listeners are, too. But from my chair, I just see there's so much research out there that shows and demonstrates the science and the data point to the fact that clubs really are not the issue with transmitting COVID whether it's the MXM report, whether it's some of these global research studies that Killian's referencing, the work that has done with uh, COVID tracing, and even the state health department's posting, uh, mm-hmm. you know, for Colorado and the state of Washington. I mean, it seems like there's really kind of an avalanche of evidence that says this is not true. So why do we keep getting lumped in and people assuming the worst about clubs when the data and science just don't support it? What do you think, Melissa?
1: Yeah, do no, I think it's uh, because we're a public space, and they're just as hard on, uh, on us as like as other public spaces. But as you mentioned, there's um there's a CDC study that showed that you know essentially like there wasn't any statistical significance to clubs contributing the spread. That they were finding more of an association with indoor with dining and and with close contact. So it it seems as if we just have the we're we're handed the uh the more challenging cards and we have to just keep like adding evidence upon evidence but i think you know to your point that once we have these standards and we can contribute to the image of how you know professional and professionalization of the industry and that sort of thing that's truly going to help us but there is you know ample evidence out there but there's just this perception that all that we do at clubs is like sweat and it's just going to. On to someone, someone else, or there's a lot of breathing hard. Those, but it's just, um, I think it's just we've just handed that um, dealt those cards, and we can only give them as much evidence as we have, as da- data that we have, and and uh, just keep being the squeaky wheel, so to speak.
0: Right, exactly. Uh, so we have, uh, you know, about nine minutes left on the call, and I want to ask again how do we make this relevant and personal to the club? So the people who are listening to the webinar, they're hearing about the research data and information and uh, that it seems to be, you know, pretty prolific. Um, but how do they take that front and center? What's the day to day of what they could actually do? Does anybody have some suggestions for them, how they could use it? Go ahead, Blair.
3: I'll jump in because, yeah. you know, I uh, take off my MXM hat, put on my, club operator hat. We're only two clubs in a rural part of the state of Washington. Use it on your social media. I think we have about 8,000 um, followers on our on our Facebook page here in Wenatchee. You get it out there on social media. Get other people to share it. Ask your, ask your staff members to share it. Don't just do it once as an event. Establish an operating process where as this information comes out, and it's going to come from Ursa, it's also going to come from other sources. There's been a little bit, I think Killian was pointing this out, right? There's been a little bit of an uptick in positivity around our industry right now. CBS News just yesterday, you know, showed a report that because school's not in, kids aren't getting their exercise. And that report was showing that for kids, huge mental health issues for kids not getting exercise. That is a great conversation into adult mental health. But I think you have to establish great social media processes. There's probably some stuff you can garner for your more you know, purchased marketing that you do. But that's how you can play in this game immediately. I mean, just immediately you can post on that. Shoot short videos of yourself talking about that information so your face becomes part of your community out there as a voice on this topic. I think, that, I think that's the starting point that every club operator could do. Every studio, every club operator could do that
0: bill as you chime in on that can you also as part of uh, your comment address a couple questions uh, from the audience which is should they do a sizzle video about this subject
4: yeah i mean i think getting it out there and and um and, and sharing but you got to start with the position you're taking okay are you taking that i'm economically stressed and in jeopardy of going out of business and i'm scared please let me open That's not a very powerful message for legislators, okay? Or are you taking a position that I'm pro-health and fitness? Mr. Mayor, Mrs. Councilman, Mrs. Governor, are you pro-health and fitness? Uh, Yeah. Well, then why are you limiting access to health and fitness for your constituents? You know, so I I think the message is being pro-health and fitness is essential business for the right reasons, mental health, child obesity, child activity, screen time. And I think a sizzle video is a great way to tell a story, but you got to be careful what story you're telling. You got to tell it from not a selfish point of view, but from a solving solving a problem for the community's point of view. And so, you know, that's what I want the politicians to answer. Are you pro health and fitness? Are you pro wellness? Um, well, yeah, of course I am. Then why are you why are you trying to degrade the the health and well-being of our community with these restrictions
1: on us? Okay, and good. Another thing that uh, I would kind of add is this, also, if, especially if you're, you know, a, a larger club or you have multiple locations, t- tell them how many people you employ, how many jobs y- you have, you know, because I think that definitely has an impact on the economy. And if you're in one of those states where there is a sales tax applied to your services, tell them how much you pay in sales tax revenue, because we know these like local and, you know, and, and, and uh, state, you know, all, a lot of economies there. They're going to be struggling and suffering just because of the impact, the economic impact COVID has had on, on just about any industry, on most industries. So if you emphasize what you're contributing to the local economy. I think that's a they, they care. The legislature definitely cares about the money that's coming into the economy. So I think it's another thing, another another talking point, too.
4: Melissa, I think you're dead on also including the number of members in addition to the number
1: yeah. of staff. You
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah, melissa you uh, correct me if I'm wrong because I'm sure you will remember these bad numbers better than I but it seems like we're reporting and estimating that by this year's end some 370 thousand health and fitness professionals will have lost their jobs is that right or am i mixing that up
1: yeah the the numbers are, are going up uh, a lot i think you know we it could be anywhere as much as 40 to 50 percent of the workforce will either be cut or like reduce their hours will really be greatly reduced so seeing clubs they're just they're really running a tight shift, you know, very lean with their staff just because of a lot of those restrictions. I mean, when you, you can only operate at 25 to 50 or 60 percent capacity, you really have to watch those variable expenses. And that unfortunately, the largest one is payroll. So, um, yeah, I think it's definitely having an impact on, on jobs for fitness professionals and, and support staff.
0: So, Killian, and as one of your closing comments, I mean, the rest of uh, the world really has been running, especially in Europe, uh, a little ahead of the U.S. related to COVID. Are there any kind of takeaways of lessons learned that uh, may not be so obvious that we should be really paying attention to here in
2: the States? Two words I'd use is be prepared. Um, and I grew up in the Scouts, and Irish is BLF. And I think that's the thing is, you know, I believe in being optimistic, but also being realistic. And I think that's the best thing, is to actually be prepared for further closures, further restrictions. Yes, take all the things we've talked about during this webinar and all the other resources, try and use them to stay open, but also it could happen like it's happened here in Ireland in four hours' time, that the government have just decided it doesn't matter what industry you are, unless they deem you to be an essential service, i.e. doctors, healthcare, supermarkets, which they deem to be essential, you may be closed, to so be prepared for that. Um, just what I think, just very quickly to add is, take the comments the other three panelists just made in the last few minutes, joining those thoughts of the economic effects and the health effects. I mean, I was on a meeting uh, last week, in fact, at the OECD with the health staff from around the world where it's actually an experts group on public health. The economic effects they're talking about very, very strongly all over the world is about the effects on other aspects of health. we've touched on that a little bit here. But you know, governments are so focused generally on COVID. There's lots of other people that are actually dying or in danger of dying from so right. many other health conditions. And that's where yeah. us as an industry, we've talked about this for the last 30, 40 years, but I mean now I think can be our time and should be our time to actually really contribute and help to really alleviate those health conditions, some case maybe prevent them but at least minimize conditions so they don't get as serious. You know, I think there's so many stories we can tell around that. um, And that is so, so important and can save government's money. So you can link the health benefits and the money.
0: Yeah, I think that's really great advice. You know, what I'm hearing back from a lot of the people that have been speaking to the lawmakers across the different states and at the federal level is that you'll be hard pressed to find a legislative official that says he doesn't believe that being active and physically Uh, in good health is good for you. They just think the risk of contracting COVID far outweighs that in their minds. Again, not based on science. And then related to the public perception about our industry, sadly, as we all know, we're still in the U.S. attracting only about 20, 22% of the population or actually belong to a health club. So when you're trying to change public perception around that metric, you have to start with the fact that there's only about 20% of the population that cares whether health clubs are open or not. <laughs> right. uh, you know, there's a lot more people that care whether the bar's open or whether right. the casino's open or the restaurant or the movie theater than they do about clubs. So, you know, we're already dealing with a very narrow segment of our uh, population. we got to make sure that, that we're using that leverage as much as we can. Yep. Well, I want to thank you again, uh, Melissa uh, and Killian. Uh, what time is it in Ireland anyway, Killian? Uh, 8 p.m. here now. Okay, well, thank you uh, for staying up late and joining us. Melissa, keep up the great work uh, on behalf of everyone there at Ursa for uh, the data. Bill and uh, Blair, as always, great uh, contributions to the discussion today. Thanks everyone for joining us once again. We'll be back again in next week. Uh, next week, I believe we're talking about uh, some financial budgeting. Uh, that's a big topic of discussion. How are you actually planning out your budget going forward and some considerations around that uh, Subject. So join us once again. Until then, thank you. Be the salt and the light. Bye, everyone.
3: Bye bye.